Well, hey, everybody, it's awesome to be able to join you and be with you from wherever you are in the world here back at home after our vacation as a family. We've been traveling around the country a little bit, but it's so good to be back on the recording stage and being able to bring you another message for Victory Life Church Online for wherever you are in the world and around the world. Today, we start a brand new series entitled Peculiar. You might be thinking, where did we get that name from? Well, let's have a, a prayer. Let's say a quick prayer, and then we'll jump in and find out a little bit more about where we're going to go on this new journey of called Peculiar. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come together from wherever we are in the world. We can come together and learn from one another, encourage one another, and be together as we face the tribulations and the trials of this world together. We can be overcomers because of what you have done on the inside of every one of us. Thank you so much for all that you do. We pray blessings over this message, over the Word, and over all of the resultant changed lives because of what you do through this Word. We thank you, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, it's pretty awesome that we can start this brand new series entitled Peculiar. Now, you might be thinking, hey, Peculiar, that's a peculiar kind of name for a series. Well, have a look at what it says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. It says this, But you are a chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, you are a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So before you blame me for calling you peculiar, for be, before you blame me for calling you weird, know that the Bible has called anyone who believes in Jesus weird. It's called anyone who believes in Jesus peculiar. It's, it's because we are different. In fact, the, the word holy is, means to be set apart from the norm. So by calling you peculiar, I'm calling you holy. By calling you peculiar, I'm calling you different from this world. And based on this scripture, based on this book called First Peter, the first book of Peter, surprisingly, spoiler alert, was written by Peter. This book of Peter, First Peter in the, in the New Testament, deals with how we deal with with life in a different kind of way. How we deal with life because we are holy, because we are with Jesus Christ. Now, Peter writes this book, and he writes it for two different groups of people. He writes it for those in a trial, or those who are today knowing that they're going to be stepping into a trial. It's imminent. Those who are looking for answers, those who are struggling and wrestling with a position that they're in. Maybe right now you're in a position where you feel like your life is a bit unfair. It's a, it's a, bit, it's a bit heavy. You, you don't know how to answer certain questions. You, you don't know why you're still unemployed, even though you've been doing everything you can to get a job. You just don't have the answers. Maybe you are sitting there today and you really are looking to have a baby, but you're struggling to conceive and it's just not happening. Maybe there's financial obstacles after financial obstacles obstacles in your life right now, and you just don't know how you're going to pay the bills. Maybe you are battling cancer. Maybe your child is making unwise decisions. Maybe your spouse is being abusive. Maybe you are just feeling completely helpless, and this life has got you down. Well, then this story that we're about to go on, the peculiar story, is 
for you. Peter wrote the first book of Peter for you. He wrote it for those of us who are struggling in the midst of a trial right now. But he also wrote it for a second group of people. He wrote it for a book group of people that would one day face a trial. You might be thinking, no, I've got none of those issues that you just mentioned, Craig. I, I don't have any of those problems in my life. My life is pretty hunky-dory. It's pretty good right now. It's pretty good to go. And, and as a result, I don't have any of those issues. But how many of us can know that I'm speaking the truth when I tell you that a trial will come? Something will happen. In fact, the Bible speaks about time and unforeseen circumstances befalling every single one of us. No matter who we are, no matter who we think we are, we are eventually going to face a trial. So what I'm trying to tell you in an indirect kind of way is that the book of 1 Peter is for every single one of us. Whether we are broken and hurting or whether we are on top of the world looking down on all of these trials and tribulations thinking that we are above everything, no, this book is for every single one of us. Now, Simon Peter, the author of this book, to give you a little bit of context before we jump into the message proper, Peter was a kind of crazy kind of guy. Peter was a fisherman, but Peter was the businessman of the fishing industry. He knew how to make money out of the fishing industry. He built a fleet. He didn't just wrestle with nets. He, he, he knew how to build a business. He was a very sharp, very clever, very astute man. But he was also the kind of person that would jump in. He was gregarious. He, he, just, he just loved building things. He said the wrong thing at the wrong time. And so when he wrote this book, he knew what it was like to be human. He knew what it was like to know trials and tribulations. By the time he walked through this book of writing 1 Peter, he was already facing some of the biggest trials that he would ever face in his life. He was facing some of the most difficult situations, and he wasn't just facing it on his own. He was facing it with a massive group of people that looked to him to lead them through those trials and tribulations. In fact, he wrote this book during the reign of Nero. Between 60 and 65 AD, during this reign of Nero, Christians were facing the harshest possible trials that had ever been known to man at the time. But Peter didn't just address these things glibly. He didn't just address uh, faith and trials and difficulties glibly. He didn't just kind of throw away scriptures. God works for the good in all things for those who love him. He, he didn't just say, oh, this is a test of your faith. Oh, God is looking to make you stronger. No, he wrote deep and he wrote wide on these big matters. He wrote about things like the foreknowledge um, he wrote about things like the sanctification of the, human, of the human race. He wrote about obedience, the blood of Christ. He dealt with the Trinity. He, he went through grace in a deep way. He spoke about revelation, and he gave a good weight to the understanding of what genuine hope was all about. Peter knew trials, and he wrote with a depth that of understanding in the human, into the human psyche that is quite remarkable. And so if you're facing a trial, coming out of a trial, or will ever face a trial, Peter knew you. He knew what you were facing, and he wrote this incredible book for you. 
Now, you might be saying, well, I don't think Peter knew the kinds of trials I'm going through. You don't, you don't, I don't think Peter understood the kind of difficulties that I am facing. Well, let me tell you something he might not know of your trials and your persecutions, but what he was facing was pretty intense. In fact, Nero was so crazy that he killed his mother. Nero killed his own mother. Nero killed his first wife. Nero killed his second wife. In fact, Nero was, was so crazy that some historians have attributed the fires of Rome to him that he started burning down Rome because the Senate had told him that he couldn't build anymore. So he flattened it to the ground so he could build some more. He was a crazy, crazy guy. And when the Senate told him to stop and he, and he set fire to Rome, uh, which burned for many days, in fact, it burned for six days and then it was just under control and it burned for another six, three days. Uh, when, when, he, when, he, when he was cornered, he blamed the Christians for the fire. He blamed the Christians for the destruction of Rome. And so to make his point, he chased after the Christians in, in a wave after wave of persecution and trials like the world had never seen before. He wanted to try and pin them down, this little group of Christians, the Christ ones. In fact, he was so crazy that sometimes he would wrap Christians up in, in animal skins and then put them in a cage and set wild dogs into the cage while he had his meal and sipped wine. He watched wild dogs ripping loved ones' arms and limbs from their body. These were people like you and me, just facing life, facing trials and tribulations. What he would do sometimes, he would dip humans and Christians in wax, tie them to the tree, and then set the whole tree alight so that there would be human candles to light up his, his scenery at night around his palace. How crazy and how sick this man was. And Peter, in the midst of that kind of trial, in the midst of being looked at to lead these people through this kind of trial, he writes in a very astute, very deep way of how we need to be different from the world how we need to be peculiar and handle life differently in a peculiar kind of way. And so he starts off this book in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. Follow with me in your, in your version Bible uh, or in your notes on the notes tab. He says this, this is a letter from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. Say it with me at home, say it with me wherever you are. I'm living as a foreigner in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he writes, and he says, I'm writing to you chosen, set aside, different people, foreigners. That word there, the Greek word, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, but it's in your notes. If you want to get Greek, you can look it up in the notes and you can see the Greek word. If you are Greek, you'll be able to pronounce it right now in the best possible way. But it means exiles. It means sojourners. It means aliens. It means strangers. It means foreigners. It means different and peculiar to the norm. 
And so he uses this word foreigners, and a little bit later on, when he's speaking about in chapter 2, when he's speaking about people that need to deal with trials, he says, no, you are a peculiar people. You are foreigners. You are set aside. You are chosen. You've been made holy. You are different. You are to live a different life. You are not to give up in the face of trials. No, you are to do something extraordinary in the face of trials. You are not to run God down when you can't see God in your situation. No, you are to walk into every situation knowing God is with you. And he starts unpacking in a very incredible way how we as Christians need to deal with life differently, how we deal with tribulation and difficulty differently. We are not of this earth, he says. We are peculiar. We live here, but we belong in the heavens. We have these difficulties, but we have a heavenly hope that pulls us through. And he starts unpacking this concept of what it means to be a peculiar people for God's name. And so, over these next couple of weeks, over these next couple of sessions, we're going to have a look at what it means to be peculiar and how we do life differently because we are called and chosen by God. We're going to have a look at how we have peculiar different values. We have peculiar and different standards. We have peculiar and different goals because we have been chosen. We've been set aside. We've been made holy through Jesus Christ. We're going to jump in in a few moments to understanding that in our trials, we can have a peculiar kind of faith. Next session, we're going to have a look at different kinds of values in an unholy culture. How many of you know that you're trying to, if you're bringing up children, you're raising holy children in an unholy world? And how do we bring up and bring out our peculiar holy values in an unholy culture? In week three, we're going to have a look at how we have a peculiar calling and purpose in a dark, dense world where people have lost purpose. And then finally, in week four, we're going to have a look at a peculiar perspective of trials and persecution. So let's jump in and have a look at how we are peculiar in our faith in the sight of trials. Now, trials are bad. Trials are not from God. Often many of us would look at God and say, why does God allow trials? Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? If you're in the middle of a difficult time right now, you might be walking around saying, hey, oh, my faith is really being tested. In fact, 1 Peter 1 and verse 6 to 7 in this book writes this. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Now remember who he was speaking to. He was speaking to loved ones who were going to have their loved ones or themselves torched like a candle, thrown to wild dogs, thrown to wild animals, while a crazy emperor watched on. And so he was speaking and saying, hey, there is joy even though we have to endure this trial. Now, many of us get caught up in the lack of joy in our trial, in our tribulation. We lose sight of any joy because the trial becomes all that is on our scene, all that is in our vista, all that is in our sight. We can only see the trial. We can't see any joy. And Peter says, hang on, there's a peculiar kind of thing happening with us. There's a different kind of thing that happens with us. 
even though we are in the midst of the trial, we are different. Our sight is not set only on the trial. Our sight is set on the joy that is happening, on the joy that exists. And then he goes on and he drops an incredible sentence. He drops a one-liner that changes the entire perspective of faith. It's peculiar. And when he says this in verse 7 of 1 Peter 1, he says, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Now, if there's a genuine kind of faith, there must be a false kind of faith. If genuine is on this side, the opposite of genuine is fake. So what Peter was saying was that if we have a genuine kind of faith, we will be able to walk through the tests of trials. But if we have a fake kind of faith, well, then we're going to find trials exceptionally difficult. And when we look at it today, in today's society and in today's world, there's a fake kind of faith. Fake faith is the norm. Genuine faith is the peculiarity. Fake faith is the norm. What do I mean by fake faith? What do I mean by false, ungenuine faith? Well, if we think through faith and our progression of faith. Now, you might be in a different place to where I am in your faith walk. You might be uh, coming out of a trial and you've just experienced God's miraculous hand blessing your life. And so your faith is explosive at the moment. You might be in the middle of a trial and your faith is running a little bit thin. It's running a little bit low. When you put your dipstick in your engine of faith and you pull it out, you can't even see any markings on that dipstick because you, you've just gone and you're in this trial and it's running thin. You might be looking at all the blessings of your life and there is no trial and you're standing up there going, my faith is good. God is wonderful. Now we all at different levels of our faith walk. But when we have a look at sometimes those levels, we must question ourselves are we walking in genuine faith or are we just believing our own nonsense? Are we just believing our own promises and our own words and our own deeds? Is it really faith or is it fake faith? Well, when we have a look at this fake kind of faith that exists today, there's really three types of fake faith. And I'm sure you're going to be able to identify it, not in yourself, I'm not going to point a finger but you'll probably be able to identify it in somebody that you know. Yeah, get, get accusing. Don't, don't judge them. But you might want to look at yourself as well during these three different types of fake faith and see if you can identify fake faith in your life or in the world today. And then maybe we'll come to a conclusion that, hey, fake faith is actually the norm. Fake faith looks like this. The first kind of fake faith we have is inherited faith. My dad was a Methodist. My mom was a Christian. I'm not a Buddhist, so I must be a Christian. Inherited faith. It's not really yours, but you kind of know of it. It's not really what you really have walked out. You haven't had many trials that have embedded this faith into you, but you kind of believe it. When you're hanging out with different kinds of people, you tend to inherit different kinds of faith. When you're hanging out with those people who say, you've just got to believe what you believe. You've got to know what you believe and believe in what you know. Uh, when you're hanging out with those kind of people, well, then you have that kind of faith. 
Uh, maybe when you're hanging out with the more intelligent kind of scientists, you have an intelligent kind of scientist kind of faith, which, which genuinely leads to explaining God out of the picture. Maybe when, you, when you're in the, the faithful environment of prosperity kind of teaching, then you have that prosperity kind of faith. You inherit the faith of the environment around you. You adopt other people's faith. Maybe you're the kind of person that goes to a meeting and you get all stirred up by the speaker and you adopt his faith. You inherit his faith. It's not your own faith, but you are stirred up in your faith by something else. Maybe it's the right kind of faith. Maybe it's a fake kind of faith, but it's certainly not your tested and tried personal kind of faith. So the first kind of faith is inherited faith. The second kind of fake faith that we sometimes see is shallow faith. You know, we have a scripture and a story where a sower sows a seed and a little plant comes up and takes root, but then life kind of knocks this little plant away and, and the, the seed doesn't take root completely and grow to be a mature plant because the worries of life, the stresses of life, the financial issues of life, the trials of life, knock this little sapling down. And even though you express that you are in faith, as soon as the trials come, your faith seems to quickly diminish. Now, that's not a big sin, but it wouldn't it be nice to know that we can stand in faith, genuinely planted in faith, no matter what comes our way? You see, this, this inherited faith and, and this shallow kind of faith just kind of goes with the flow. It kind of goes with whatever belief structure is happening of the day. Whatever the masses are saying, well, that's, that's where we have our belief structure. That's where we have our faith structure. Inherited faith and shallow kind of faith. And then one that kind of sits in the middle, one kind of fake faith that sits in the middle of those two is a conditional faith. It's, I'll have faith when it's going well for me. I'll believe in God when God seems to be blessing me. I met a guy at the gym the other day, and we were just getting to talk, and, and, I, and I greeted him, and he said, hey, you're new around here? Uh, and, and I kind of sheepishly said, yes, we've only been going to gym since the beginning of the year, and he was much bigger than me, and I'm a lot smaller than him, and I think maybe that's why he judged that I was new around here by, by my size in comparison to him. And he said, well, where are you from? Because he picked up, obviously, that I had an accent. And I told him, well, I was from South Africa. And, and he asked me what I was doing in, in this crazy part of the world. And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And I just love being here and love pastoring the people here and learning new things. And, and he kind of just came back at me and said, well, I don't believe in God. And I was like, whoa, dude, I, I, this is just like a, a conversation meeting you. And, and here you are. I don't believe in God. And, and he said, I used to. But then I lost my wife, I lost my job, I lost my house, my father died, and he went on to just unpacking all of the struggles that he had been through, and then he dropped the question that most people ask when they, they have this kind of conditional faith. How can God allow good things, I mean bad things, to happen to good people? How can God allow bad things to happen to good people? That age-old question, and there he was standing looking at me going, I don't have any faith, kind of saying to me, well, if things were going well for me, then I would have faith. You see, the world has inherited faith, has shallow kind of faith, 
and has conditional faith. And you're going to lose your way if you find yourself trapped in any one of those kinds of fake faith. Now, I'm not here to condemn you today. I'm not here to wag my finger and say you have one of those three kinds of fake faith. But in some level of our faith, we can appreciate that some of that rises up. You might be listening to this message today because, hey, your family is Christian and this is what you do. That's an inherited kind of faith. You might be listening to this message today because you're desperately seeking something to cling on to because you are going through a trial. And maybe you're accepting that, hey, maybe before the trial, your faith was a bit shallow. And now in the trial, the shallowness of your faith is becoming more evident. Maybe you're a kind of go with the flow kind of person. And well, when things go well with you, then you're expressing how good God is. But when things aren't going so well, then you don't really believe in God or you blame Him. You see, when we have a look at these different types of faith, we have to begin to understand that we need to get into a place of having genuine faith. Now, if the norm is fake faith, and genuine faith is where we need to be, and Peter calls this genuine kind of faith a faith that's been tested, a faith that's been refined, a faith that's been worked on, and he calls this genuine faith peculiar, well, then I'm up for being peculiar. I'm not up to being normal if fake faith is what the norm is. I'm all in to become peculiar and have a genuine kind of tested, deep inner faith. So God begins to work in me when I let him in building true, genuine faith. Now, when we have a look at, at the busyness of life, we can often stop and get so busy that we don't allow God to build this kind of genuine faith in us. And then when the trials come, we don't blame our busyness of life, we blame God. We don't blame our lack of attention to gaining into a genuine faith. No, we blame God. We don't blame the fact that we are walking in shallow faith. We're walking in a conditional faith or, or we're walking in inherited faith. No, we don't blame that. We don't blame ourselves. No, we just cast the issue and we say it's all God's fault that this trial is knocking me down. Well, First Peter and, and, and Peter deals with this. He says this in First Peter 1 and verse 7. He says, trials will show whether or not your faith is genuine. Trials will show up whether or not your faith is genuine. Put it slightly differently, a faith that is tested is a faith that can be trusted. You see, when you've walked through some difficulties with your faith intact, you have proven that you haven't got an inherited faith, you haven't got a conditional faith, you haven't got a shallow faith, you've got genuine faith. When you can walk through a testing and still trust God, that shows that your tested faith is a trusted faith. And you can walk through the next trial with greater faith and greater intentionality to honor God, even though you're going through difficulty. A faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted. A little earlier on in Peter's story, Jesus has a conversation with him in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31 and 32. He says, hey, Simon, Simon, Peter, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Satan has asked 
to test all of you. And if we remember the book of Job, there God reveals this moment when Satan comes to him and says, hey, I'm going to prove that your people will give up on you when the heat is hot. You see, Satan in the book of Job already knew that genuine faith would crush him. He already knew that in the book of Job that conditional faith, shallow faith, that fake kind of faith would make sure that people would turn from God as soon as trials hit. The whole book of Job shows that, hey, there are those in the midst of trials that will give up on God, not genuine faith, and those in the midst of trials whose faith will grow in God, genuine faith. And so Satan goes to Jesus and he goes, hey, I'm going to test your people. I'm going to test their character. I'm going to test their faith. And I'm going to test their resolve. And Jesus says, no, no, you can make sure and you can test them. But, have a look at what he says to Simon. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And then when your faith doesn't fail, when Satan is testing you, he says, when you have turned back, when you look back, you will have strengthened your brothers and you will have grown. Peter at the time was in his obtuse, say anything, not mean it, not really know what I'm saying kind of phase of his life. He hadn't really had his faith tested at that point. He hadn't met up with the likes of Nero at that point. He hadn't seen the death of Jesus at that point. He was still kind of going through his obnoxious phase. And then he, he gets this message from Jesus to say, you know what, Satan's going to test you, not God. Let me say it clearly. God doesn't put tests in your life. He doesn't put trials in your life. Satan does. God gives you faith in your life to walk through the trials and walk through the tests of Satan. Didn't Jesus say, I have prayed for you. I have made a way for you to walk through these tests. It's called faith. And when you look at it, Peter takes on this information. He's still kind of in inherited faith. He's still kind of in shallow faith. He's still trying to work things out. But as soon as he gets to the testing phase, that's when his faith becomes genuine. So point number one about how do I build my faith? Embrace trials because trials will reveal where your faith's at and will be able to show you what you need to do with your faith. And so Peter goes through this crazy, crazy place. He goes through this crazy process of, of trying to work out what it means and how he is and what kind of faith and all the tests and trials that were coming. And so when he gets to this place of realization of the testing that has to happen to build faith, he, he writes this incredible chapter and it says, hey, I'm going to have greater faith because of my trials. I'm not going to have a fake faith in the midst of my trials. And in this early obnoxious, impulsive, cocky, inconsistent phase of his life, maybe you identify with the word right there. Maybe you're in a cocky faith kind of space right now. Look at me. Look at what I've built. Look at what I've done. Look at how much I've achieved. In these early years of our faith, we're actually walking in fake faith. In fact, Peter's faith was so fake that to a little schoolgirl, he denied knowing Jesus three times. Peter's faith was so weak that even when tested 
by a little schoolgirl, he didn't have the resolve to say, I know the Christ. I am with the Christ. I'm walking with the Christ. No, I do not know of him, he said to that schoolgirl. He was wrecked with pain and with guilt. He was wrecked by losing his purpose of being the best disciple he could be. He even turned to Jesus one set time and said, I am the greatest. I will never, ever deny you. I'm even better than John. You don't, don't trust John, trust me. All based on fake kind of faith. But then later on, he catches the tests and the trials and his faith grows and his faith becomes genuine. And with that faith came great strength. In fact, even though Peter was willing to die as a martyr, have a look at James 1 and verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, before the test, your faith is untested. It may be fake. It may be genuine. Before the test, you don't know if you're grounded. Before the test, you don't know if you can walk in perseverance. But during the test and after the test, you will know what to do to grow your faith and genuine kind of faith, not lacking anything. So maybe you, like Peter, have been walking in a fake kind of faith, thinking that you've inherited a strength, you're thinking that you have the strength, but it's not really there. Thinking that you can walk through any kind of condition. You've, you've inherited this faith. You've got hold of, of some teachings and you think you've got the faith. But now a trial is knocking you down. It's wearing you down. It's, it's causing you to be wrecked and in pain. God never uses, never causes a hurt. But God will never waste a hurt. God is not causing your pain. God is not causing your testing. God is not causing your trial or your tribulation. But he will not let that moment go past, if you'll allow him, to speak into your life and grow your faith so that you can walk through life. The first thing we have to understand about genuine faith is that trials grow our faith into a more genuine level of faith. We embrace trials because we know that God can be trusted. We walk into the trial with God so that we can walk through the trial with Him. We don't look for God in the trial. We look for God before the trial. Knowing that trials are coming, knowing that it's going to get difficult, know that things, things are going to change. Your current circumstance, if it's good, is not going to be there forever. I'm not trying to speak death. I'm just letting you know that life is like a roller coaster. And when we have a look at this situation that we're in, this, this very kind of insecure life, we need to have something genuine to hold on to. We need to be locked down, locked in for God. And so we don't look for God in the trial, because when we look for God in the trial, we're going to blame Him or lose Him. Don't look for God when you're in the middle of a trial. Get ready before the trial, knowing that your God will walk you through that trial. And then see how your God is tested, not how you are tested. You are not being tested. God's promises are being cemented in your life through the testing. And that's how we get to a genuine kind of faith. God never causes a hurt, 
but God never wastes one either. The second thing we need to know about faith and genuine kind of faith is that trials draw us closer to God. Have a look at what it says in 1 Peter 1, verse 8 to 9. You love God even though you have never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. Good news, great news, fantastic news. God has saved us from this world of trials and tribulations. We are not of this world. We are peculiar to this world. We have been called to a heavenly hope. We have a hope of salvation. The good news isn't that God has saved us from our trials. The good news is that God has saved us from our sins so that we can have a relationship with Him to walk through the trials. God has saved us from our sins so that we can have a genuine relationship resulting in genuine faith no matter our circumstance. God wants to remove the obstacle of having powerful, life-giving relationship with you. That scripture tells us that we rejoice, that we can count on our sins being removed. We can't count on trials being removed because we live in a broken world. But we can count on a God that will take away any reason for us not to find Him or to blame Him. You see, when we look for God in our trials and we try and find God in the midst of a trial, it's too late. We're going to either blame Him or lose Him completely. That guy in the gym stopped going to church, didn't want to know God. He was a church goer, and now he's a church lever because he had conditional faith. He looked for God in the midst of his trial, and when he couldn't find God because of his conditional faith, he lost God. God didn't lose him. He lost God. You see, when we get caught in the midst of life, when we get caught up in the midst of trials, we're not going to find God or we're only going to find blame for God. But if we are cementing our faith now, testing it, checking it, reading up on it, studying it, walking with it, asking God about it, allowing Him to remove our sins so that we can have a relationship with Him that will grow our genuine faith, when the trials come, our faith will remain genuine. When the difficulties are there, the faith will remain genuine. And if you're sitting in the midst of a trial right now, reach out to God genuinely. Ask Him. Don't blame Him and don't look for Him. Don't try and find Him right now. He's already there. Genuinely believe that He's removed your sins so that you can have a relationship to overcome the trial. As you grow and as you depend on God, you will find this glorious, inexpressible joy. Peter did. Peter was an idiot. At the end of the day, when he embraced his genuine, tested faith, Peter became the rock. Peter was somebody that found this glorious, inexpressible joy despite the horrid persecution of Nero. When we blame God, we're walking in inherited, shallow faith. When we lose God and we try and do things our own way, we lose ourselves in conditional faith. But when we are willing to face the trial with God and not look for God in the trial, then we're walking in genuine faith and that trial will not be able to conquer us. I hope and I pray today that you have made a resolve to have a peculiar kind of faith, one different to this world. It's not conditional 
It's not switched on and switched off, dependent on your condition. No, it's genuine and always present, always being cultivated based on a relationship with God, always being worked on based on a relationship with the Father. Why? Because we can have relationship with the Father because He has given us the joy of salvation. We have to have a different kind of faith in trial. We have to have a peculiar kind of way of dealing with tribulation. Our peculiar kind of way of dealing with trials and tribulations is that we embrace them. That's pretty peculiar. We don't rush headlong looking for them. But when they come our way, we don't blame God. We don't run from God. No, we embrace all that we know about God and Him taking care of our sins, providing us an eternity. And as a result, we can walk through that tribulation with God. You see, we have been given a peculiar recipe to deal with trials and tribulations. It's having a peculiar kind of faith, a faith that's not of this world, that's not fake, but is genuine and is real. And I hope and I pray that as we begin to unpack this peculiar walk, that you begin to embrace a peculiar kind of belief. Trials won't knock me down, so you can bring them on. Difficulty won't knock me down, so you can bring them on. I have a God that will knock anything down, and I'm willing to walk through anything to test and to show how glorious and how wonderful my salvation is in the Father who provides it. This is a peculiar belief structure. When difficulty comes in the world, people run. People go the opposite direction. They look for the easy way out. They look to inherit faith, not build faith. We are faith builders. We want the seed of faith that God has planted on the inside of us to grow and get stronger and more firm, planted completely on the belief that Jesus Christ is our salvation and in that salvation, we find our inexpressible joy. Let's pray together, and then we'll close out, and we'll see you again next session. Father, we thank you so much for planting in us the ability to understand faith, to grow faith, to build our faith. Not blame you, not run from you, but run towards you so that we can walk through any trial and tribulation. Father, I pray right now for anybody facing a trial and a tribulation, a special gift of a realization of their genuine faith that they have, a stripping away of any fake ideas, any fake faith that might be crowding out their thought life, and just a clear, clear vision of you in that trial, right there with them, walking through that tribulation with them. We may never be thrown to wild dogs, we may never be lit up as candles, but Father, the trials and the tribulations of this world cause us the same kind of pain. So Father, we pray for healing in that pain. We pray for a direction in that pain. We pray for peace in that pain so that we can express our salvation despite the trial and have inexpressible joy in the midst of it all. Father, thank you for all of this. Thank you for providing a way out. We love you. And we honor you, and we thank you for this word in our lives today. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all of God's people around the world said amen and amen. Well, thank you so very much for joining us here at Victory Life Church Online. I hope this discussion has sparked in you a desire to go and grow and build on the testings of your faith, on the genuineness of your faith, 
Thank you for joining us. We look forward to seeing you again next time as we continue walking out peculiar life compared to this world. You are different. You have been chosen. You are God's honored people, and you are a royal priesthood. Thank you for accepting those statements and making them part of your genuine faith as we journey through this series, Peculiar. Looking forward to seeing you this weekend as Pastor Dwayne starts a brand new series. We're looking forward to seeing you next week as we continue the Peculiar series. Thank you so much for joining us. You be blessed. 